All right, Freedom Chasers, we have a treat for you today. A visionary who scaled the heights of entrepreneurship, leadership, and impactful giving. Introducing the real Jason Duncan, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and a coach with a heart and purpose as vast as his experience. With a decade of steering one of America's skyrocketing private companies, he's honed the art of growing a prosperous business in just 10 hours a week. His method? Exit Without Exiting, a blueprint to detach from the endless hustle focusing on what truly resonates. Through the Exeter Club Mastermind, the root of all success podcasts in his illuminating book, Exit Without Exiting, Jason dishes out golden insights, but his drive doesn't stop at entrepreneurship. He's on a mission to uplift 10,000 souls from poverty and mediocrity with plans to kickstart a nonprofit championed by his mastermind group. Hailing from Nashville, Tennessee, when not shaping the business world, you'll find Jason cherishing moments with his family or relishing in the thrill of motorcycling and the serenity of camping. An embodiment of success, balance, and giving back, Jason truly enriches the entrepreneurial tapestry. Jason, my lord, that's a mouthful. It's an honor to have you here, my friend. All right. It's good to be here. It's good to be here, Tim. Glad to be here. All right, man. So let's talk about exiting without exiting. So anybody that doesn't know who you are, what does that concept mean? And we'll just dive into it from there. Most entrepreneurs think that, um, you know, if they think about exiting at all, they think that means selling the company. It's like, Hey, uh, you know, this guy exited his company. Well, what does that mean? Well, he sold it. Or I have an exit strategy. Well, what does that mean? Well, I've, I'm strategically working towards selling the company. I, I, you know, honestly, when I started my first big company in 2010, what turned, wasn't a big company then, of course it turned out to be, but I didn't have an exit strategy. I didn't know what exit mean. I mean, I literally started a job. That's what I did. I started a job and uh, I made a lot of money doing that job ultimately, but I didn't know what it meant to exit. And when I finally got to the place where I was working with a business coach and we were talking about um, next steps, like what's the next step for me? Cause I was still, you know, I'm still relatively young. You know, what's the next thing? Do I want to run a lighting company forever? Or do I want to do something different? I said, well, let's just sell it. Like I'd rather do something different. And I found out that my business wasn't really worth anything. Even though I had a seven figure bottom line, things were going well. I was, I had built a company that was not exitable. Like I, it wasn't sellable except I could have sold it for pennies, but yeah, it, I couldn't have sold it for what I thought it was worth because I built it wrong. And that's when I started looking for other ways to exit. And ultimately, I decided to um, to exit without selling. So I got out of the daily operations completely, uh, still maintain control, ownership, financial benefits, tax benefits, et cetera. And when I did, I said, look, I've exited without exiting. And that just kind of stuck. That phrase, exit without exiting, stuck. And people said, well, can you show me how to do that? And so that's that's when I started a coaching company, started a podcast, started writing a book. And here we are. Absolutely. So I have to ask, man, how did it feel when you when you tried to sell this company, you have the seven figure bottom line and you found out it wasn't worth nearly what you thought it would be? Um, you know, it was I guess because I didn't really have a whole lot of expectations around it. It wasn't like I was, hey, man, this company's worth 10 million dollars. Let's go sell it. And then it's like find out it's like, eh, it's not even worth a million or whatever. I didn't do any valuations. I didn't put it for sale, by the way. But so I didn't really have a big expectation, but it was a little bit, um, I guess, humbling to know that, you know, I'd spent so many years building what turned out to be 
while multi-million dollars in revenue, it wasn't a multi-million dollar value company. So that was a little bit, eh, that didn't, that didn't feel good. Absolutely. So when building a business now or, or assisting somebody else building it, are you trying to create ways where it is more valuable on the back end, or is that still something not quite on your mind? You can, if you are, if you are owning, if you own a company and you're also the operator, your company is valued 30 to 50% less on the open market than one who's owned by an op, owned by someone who's not operating. That's a hard fact that I now know. So what I do when I work with my clients, you know, I've got clients that do, I've got a couple of clients that are under a million in revenue, but most of my guys are doing 3 million and up. I've got some that are, you know, punching really close to nine figures that what I'm working with them on is listen, if you can get yourself out of the weeds, you're out of the daily ops, you still can be involved, but you're out of the daily operations. So for example, if you took a two month vacation and didn't talk to anybody, your company continues to do what it does. If I can get you there, I've increased the value of your company by 50%. That's huge. So yes, I'm working on increasing the values of the company so they don't find themselves in this position, but more than increasing the value of the company, it's about the quality of life. Um, most mm -hmm. people build businesses um, and their life li is lived on the edges. They live on the leftovers of what the business allows. And what I teach guys to do is I'll teach you how to build a business around your life not live mm -hmm. your life around your business. Absolutely. And we'll definitely dive deeper into that, but let's talk a little bit more about getting an operator. So somebody we're listening right now, they had a business doing pretty well. What steps would you recommend they take in order to install this operator into their business? Well, if, if you are at a place where you're like, Hey, I want out, I got to find somebody to run this thing. Well, that's too late. <laughs> you didn't think about it early enough. So you got to think early about one, the, the main thing that I teach people, the first principle is embracing delegation. You have to embrace delegation. So that starts early in the process. And, and really, uh, delegation is misunderstood by 99% of entrepreneurs out there. And the person who's sitting in the car listening to this right now going, well, that I'm the 1%. No, you're not. Like, it, like most people don't understand this. And the reason is because it's a mindset thing. The mindset of most entrepreneurs is they're the hero of the business. I call it the hero syndrome. And they believe that everything has to go around them and they're the number one ace that they do everything better. And the reality is you probably do know it better than everybody else and can do it better than everybody else. But that hero syndrome, if you don't overcome it, you're not going to find an operator at some point. Nobody's looking for a job to run your company for you so that you can leave. That's not what anybody's looking for. What you've got to do is embrace that delegation, have the right mindset early in the process. So that as you build the company over that one, two, three year span, by the time you get ready to step back, you're already stepped back because the people are already been delegated to, they're doing everything and you've got the systems in place, et cetera, to make it happen. So I think it starts with delegation. You don't just go look for an operator. That's not going to work. Absolutely. And I could relate to that as somebody that suffers from hero syndrome and is in slowly, slowly recovering from it. Right. It's it, that is the first step is realizing that it's a problem. Right. It's just like I can't do yeah. everything. And, and you get to a point where you simply can't anymore. It's just like, oh, wow, the workload is so heavy. Like I, I'm, it's impossible. But as you start to delegate, you start to see the value. And, and it's like you might have to deal with a 20 percent reduction in, in, in output by hiring somebody. But Ultimately, it's for the greater good, right? So what would you tell to somebody listening right now that has hero syndrome? It's like, 
why do they need to start doing it? Well, I think you just need to consider, first of all, what is it that you want? Like, what, why did you start your business to begin with? Did you start your business uh, to have a better job? Like that's when I started my business, uh, to be honest, that's what I did. I, I didn't know any better. I was an unemployed school teacher. I just needed to make money. And so I started a business to make money. That's, that's a job. Um, but, but if you really want freedom, you want control over your time and the choice you want control over the choices you make daily on what you do, where you go, who you hang out with, what vacations you go on, what charities you donate to, how you do- dedicate your time. If that's what you want, the hero syndrome is the only thing standing in your way. If you get rid of the hero syndrome, you can get everything you want, but you can't do it if you believe you're the only guy. Oh, but Jason, I'm, I'm, you know, I, it runs around me. I, I'm the one who knows how to do it. I, yeah, I get it. But one time you were an idiot too. And you didn't know how to do it and you eventually figured it out. So let Bob figure it out. Like give him the opportunity. You were Tim, alluding to the fact that there's a 20% reduction output. I actually teach in the delegation model to my clients is like, you're looking for someone to do it at 80% of your expectation. 80%. So if you expect a hundred of these things to be done in a week, if they hit 80, you should mark that completely off your list. You're never going to do it again. It won't stay at 80. It's going to exceed a hundred at some point. I've got, a, I'll tell you a story if you want to know, but I, I've got a guy that I hired right out of, right out of master's graduate school. He got his master's and I hired him to take over the operations side of my business because at that point I was doing everything. I was literally carrying a clipboard and a pencil walking around hospitals and warehouses and counting light bulbs. That's that's part of the operations, doing an audit. And then I would order the materials and then all that stuff. So I hired him. And at first, his name is Ricky. Uh, He's still with me to this day, almost 10 years later. At first, he sucked at it. He's not good at it. He messed up. He screwed up. He didn't order materials correctly. He he made mistakes. But but had 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 I let myself like step back in and say, uh-uh, when I can't take mistakes, I'd still be counting light bulbs today and you and I wouldn't know each other. I wouldn't have a book. I wouldn't have a podcast. I certainly wouldn't be a millionaire. I wouldn't, like none of this stuff would have happened. I had to get over that. I had to get over myself. Absolutely. And I totally understand it. This is actually something I'm overcoming recently where it just, everything was growing so fast. It's like I had no other choice, um, <laughs> but it was still hard. Like I, I wanted to cry about it. I feel like it's like, I like doing things. And I think that's part of it. You start businesses, you like doing what you do. And that's why it grows quickly. And it's like, I don't want to pass this thing off yet. And it's like, well, you kind of have to. Um, <laughs> I, I just posted this the other day and it's like, I, I create two piles of work now. It's like, I can do this forever and delegate. And that's really the only option I have. And what I've done to try to fill that gap is to just start delegating more things. It's like, okay. Like this is a thing. It's like the solution is to find somebody else to do it for me and to do this thing. And then I could just grow the business by adding more people to delegate to. And then I could go from a doer to a manager, basically, which is everybody needs to do. Um, So I need to ask this. When you say operator, I think naturally to the book Rocket Fuel. Um, I think he uses integrator far more. But I'd like to ask you from your personal opinion, do you think a visionary is easier to find than an operator or, or what is your thought there? No, visionaries are a dime a dozen. Um, are, are not, are, excuse me, operators are a dime a dozen. Visionaries are, are like hen's teeth. You can't find visionaries. Visionaries are very, very difficult to find. Visionary is what the entrepreneur, the true entrepreneur who builds a business, not a job, that is a visionary. And they're hard to, hard to find. A visionary is one, 
Well, really, let's back up for a second. So let's go back to the former question you asked me about the hero syndrome and operators, et cetera. If, if Steve Jobs or Elon Musk or uh, Bill Gates or um, Jeff Bezos, let's use those. Those are the top four guys we all think about. You know, Steve's gone, but all the other guys are still here. If they were still the hero of their business, we would not know their names. Right. I mean, let's just be honest. Like if, if Steve Jobs had never come back in to Apple and and put a vision in place for other people to execute. And yet, like if he'd have stepped in and said, here's the vision and I'm going to execute it, we wouldn't know who he is. We would not know that guy's name. We wouldn't know Bill Gates. We wouldn't know Steve Jobs. We wouldn't know any of these guys. The reason nobody knows about you and your business is because you are not acting like Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, and Jeff Bezos. You're you're acting like the guy who has a job that you call a business. Hey, listen, and I'm talking to myself. I'm not just talking to you. This is this is all of us. We do we do these things. So we have to back up. So here's the thing: there are three roles, only three, that the entrepreneur, the owner of the business, the architect of the business, the one who designs the future that he or she should fulfill three and only three. Number one, set the vision. That is your job and your job uniquely. Nobody else can do that for your business. Number two is you have to communicate that vision. You have to communicate that vision on a regular, clear basis to everyone. Everybody's going to know it. That's your job. You cannot out, outsource that. And number three, build the asset, build the asset. You got to turn your business into an asset that doesn't rely on you. You, 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 it's got to be bigger than you. That is the three roles of an entrepreneur as the architect of the business. This is called the law of the architect. Actually, it's a universal law. And so if you commit to these three things, you will build a business that's bigger than yourself. And you'll create legacy. You'll create impact. You'll create financial rewards, not only for yourself, but for your employees. That's what you do. But if you do anything outside of those three, you're breaking the law of the architect and you're going to suffer the consequences just like anyone else who breaks a law. Absolutely. So I'm curious, could a company work with two people that are more mentally suited for the visionary role at the head? No, the any, a two headed, anything is a, is a beast. It's a monster. So the, this is the law of the architect also, also precludes the idea of co-founders. So there's no such thing really as a co-founder in our, in our, in our phrasing today, Actually, this is a speech I give. I talk about there's no such thing as a co-founder. But if you go to like investopedia.com and type in co-founder, what does that mean? It'll it'll say something to the effect of, and I'm misquoting it, but like a person who is brought on early into the early stages of the business who has some expertise that the founder doesn't have to help build the business. Okay. Okay. Then type in what's a founder. A founder is one who had the vision and the idea of the concept and started and took the risk to build it. So a founder, by definition, is someone who took, takes the risk has the vision and starts it. So a co-founder, by definition, cannot be co-founder because he's not doing the founding. Now, that doesn't diminish the role of a partner who comes in. That, that, that's not what I'm talking about. But ultimately, at the beginning of a business and throughout the business life cycle, there's one person who is communicating that vision, one person who is setting that division, and one person whose responsibility is to make sure that asset gets built. So if you look at going back to our four examples, look, look at, look at uh, Apple, for example. So Steve is gone, right? So he's not here, but he set that vision. He set the vision for what Apple is going to be. It's going to be different. It's going to feel different. It's going to look different. And, and so he had, uh, what's the guy's name? Ivy, uh, the guy, uh, John, Joni Ivy, I think it was anyway. 
he was one of the chief designers. Then you had Tim Cook, of course, who's now CEO. He had these people who helped him disseminate the vision, but it wasn't their vision. And now Tim Cook's at the helm. Steve's dead. He's gone. But he's still communicating the vision in the way that Steve did it. And he's carrying it on quite nicely, I think. I mean, I, I'm, not a, I'm not an Apple fanboy. I'm a Mac guy. I don't use Apple phones, but, but I think they're doing okay. So, I, no, you can't be two, found, two fo- the co-founders. There's not two people keep setting the vision. I, I guess you could argue, Tim, that, you know, I could help. My, my employees can help me communicate it, but it's still ultimately my, my job to communicate that. Okay. So, I mean, that's a great example, Steve Jobs, because if you look all the way back to the beginning in early 80s, it's Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, right? But who set the vision? It was clearly Steve Jobs that set the vision. Steve Wozniak was the one that really put it in motion, what you might argue, but Steve Jobs set the vision and that is the role he was supposed to play. Exactly. All right. Um, Very cool. So, I love um, your mission, really, is helping 10,000 people. So let's get along. Let's just ask broad strokes what exactly you want to help them do, who you want to help, why you want to help them, and we'll dive deeper into that concept. So it's kind of, it's twofold. So on one hand, I want to see 100,000 entrepreneurs set free from the ironic prison of entrepreneurship. And what I mean by is that this ironic prison that we've created by creating jobs for ourselves. So that's what I want to do. I want to, my first TED talk was called the ironic prison of entrepreneurship and how to escape. Like I want to help 100,000 entrepreneurs do that. I want to do it through one-on-one coaching. I want it to do through my mastermind. I want to do it through my podcast, public speaking, my book, uh, Exit Without Exiting. I want all of this to collectively help 100,000 entrepreneurs escape that, that prison of entrepreneurship. And then the other side of that is I also, together with these 100,000 people, you know, the closer you are to me, the more we can work together. But I want to work together to start a nonprofit, to help 10,000 people escape poverty and mediocrity through the vehicle of entrepreneurship. So I'm, what I'm talking about here is I'm not talking about the bum living under the bridge. I'm talking about the homeless guy with the cardboard sign down at the corner. What I'm talking about is people that you and I both know who are just making it. They're paycheck to paycheck. They're, they're probably living a pretty decent life, but they have a scarcity, poverty-based mentality. They're living in mediocrity. They're not living in abundance. And they've got an idea, but they don't have the resources, the contacts to make it happen. So I want my network that I create with Exeters, with my Exeter Club, to be the network that can go out and identify this guy, John or or Bob or whoever, and say, listen, we're going to help you. And we're going to help lift you out of this poverty mediocrity. We're going to show you how to run a business. And you've got all of us to be your mentors, your advisors, your coaches, even resource, financial and otherwise, that we can give you to get you out of this. And I want to do that 10,000 times. Absolutely tremendous, man. So you mentioned the poverty mentality. Do you think that's the main thing holding people back the way they think and how they think? I think the only thing holding anybody back is the way they think. Like what we think about, we bring about. There, There is nothing on earth that we experience in reality that didn't first start in the thought. So like if you think, I, I interviewed today the, one of the ladies who was one of the founding team members of uh, HGTV, the, the cable show, the cable television network. And she kept saying, this was just an idea in 1994, just an idea, just an idea, just an idea. And I'm like, yeah, everything was just an idea before it became reality. This water bottle that I use, a friend of mine 
Um, he, he, this pH nine generator, it's an alkaline water bottle. He gives away called, it's called hydrate the hood. This was an idea. Now it's reality. My book was an idea. Now it's a reality. So whatever your reality is, you could trace back to an idea. So if you're living in poverty and I'm not meaning like real poverty, financial poverty, but like if you have a poverty mindset where it's scarce, you know, there's not enough, it's a zero sum game. I just got to work to keep the man off my back. Like that type of mentality, that reality is related to a thought. So if you can change your thoughts, you will change your reality. Everyone who listens to our show knows Matt and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times you have watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. And the results prove this. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secret that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is why we have opened up a few one-on-one -on -one coaching slots with Freedom Chasers Coaching, where you can get a plan to financial freedom that is completely customized to fit who you are and where you want to go and most importantly, how you want to get there, where you can get a plan to financial freedom that is completely customized to fit who you are, where you want to go, and how you want to get there. The benefit of working with Matt and I is that we are interviewing between 5 and 20 successful people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and gotten the inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We are able to work with you to pick the strategy that will fit the best and then help you create the custom plan and steps to take you quickly into financial freedom. The fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us and let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. Without question, but I think most people listening to this will be along the lines of saying, easier said than done, Jason, um, which I believe is true because this is not something that'll happen with a flick of the wrist or anything like that. It's years and really, I mean, the rest of your life of growth, because the more you learn about how important mindset is, the more you learn how bad your mindset is, even when you think it was good. These new things keep popping up over and over. So like what kind of strategies would you recommend to somebody that might be thinking in a poverty mindset that can start implementing into their lives to start to kind of wean it out? So it, I would, I would challenge people to think about this mindset shift in the same way you would think about a health shift, a physical health shift. So if you see a guy who's ripped, like has the six pack, he's got the arm muscles, he's got the leg muscles, not like me. Like I'm, I'm okay. I'm in shape. I'm, I'm all right, uh, but I'm not ripped. I got a little stuff around the waist. I got to get rid of that I'm working on. But here's the thing. If you see that guy, he didn't make those physical reality changes in his life to go from soft to hard. He didn't move from a little pudgy to six, six pack like that. And it didn't take 30 days. It didn't take 60 days or nine. I don't care what the Instagram guru tells you to buy his course. And in 90 days, you have six pack. It's not going to work like that. That doesn't how that's not how it works. I think we all know that if you want to turn your, your body into a physical specimen of health, it takes time, probably years of time to do that. The same thing is going to happen in your mental mindset. Um, 
I, you know, from my experience, I used to think daily affirmations and manifestations was all a bunch of hooey. Like I thought it was BS. I didn't think it was real. And here I am today, a year into a complete 100% deep end of this concept of metaphysics and mindset shifts and, and affirmations. I am a 100% different person than I was a year ago. My mindset's different. My reality's different. I mean, speaking of physical health, one of the things is I'm affirming that I'm going to lose, you know, a pound a month until I turn 50. That gets me to the weight that I was at when I graduated high school. And I'm doing it. Like I wouldn't have been able to do it had I not made the decision. But how's that? That's not losing 10 pounds in a week. That's not losing 20 pounds in a month. It's one pound a month. And I'm consistently doing it. I went to went for a six month checkup at my doctor just recently. And of course they weigh you in and out. And he goes, man, weight's just falling off of you. I said, yeah, what was it last time? And he told me, and what is it this time? And I did the math like, yeah, six pounds down. Actually, it's a little more than six pounds. It's like this works, but it ain't going to happen overnight. This ain't a microwave. Your mindset shift is, is like a long, slow cooker. It is going to take a while. But dude, when you put meat in a long, slow cooker, when you finally pull it out, it tastes so much better than a microwave burrito. So I want the good taste at the end. And that's where we're heading. Absolutely. And then as you mentioned, like the Instagram folks that have everything that'll get you rich in 30 days. I mean, that's a great way to pull the red flag out and be like, that doesn't work. Um, or you're getting the microwave burrito, right? You're not getting something that's real. You're not getting something that's sustainable. You're not getting something that you can build upon. It's just a fad, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah, you guys, it is a lot of fads in it. And that's that's the challenge with marketing because, see, marketing requires your ability to get someone's attention. These days, everybody needs attention. And if you just, if you're a health coach and you say, hey, work with me and by the, you know, in 24 months, you'll have a completely different body. That is 100% true, <laughs> but ain't going to sell anything. So I don't really blame them. I mean, we have to say, hey, in 90 days, 30 day transformation. I get it. But, but I think all of us know down deep that the transformations that we're looking for to live the life that we truly live aren't going to happen overnight. They're not going to happen in 30 days. But just because it won't doesn't mean you shouldn't work towards it. Give yourself 30 days. One of the books I just finished reading is called Three Magic Words by U.S. Anderson. He wrote it in the 1950s and a phenomenal book. And one of the things he teaches in there is he says you should do a 30-day mental diet. And I thought, well, this is interesting. What does that mean? He goes, well, a diet is something where you, you give something up. You restrict yourself for 30 days for the purpose of improvement. That, that's what a diet is. Don't eat donuts. Don't eat caffeine. Don't eat, don't smoke cigarettes, whatever. 30 day diet or something. So in a mental diet, he says in 30 days, you are prohibited from dwelling on any negative thought. That doesn't mean you won't have them. You just can't dwell on it. You can't dwell on it. You can't vocalize it for 30 days. I did that a long time ago. I did it before I read the book and he's hundred percent right. After 30 days of doing that, you stop being negative. You catch yourself when you think negatively. It, it, it just becomes a habit. So consistency outperforms intensity every day of the week. We have to be consistent through this, not intense for 30 days and be done. We have to be consistent over a long period of time. Basically. So anybody listening, if you're looking for the magic pill, it doesn't exist. <laughs> I mean, you just have to get out there and commit. Consistency over time is going to beat anything. Over, I'm 
always. Like if you go back to the earliest stories that we hear, like the tortoise versus the hare, um, we've been taught these parables since the very beginning and nothing has changed really. Um, it's just most people can't commit to what they want to do. So I'm going to dial this back a little bit. Um, you mentioned the entrepreneur's prison um, and we need to talk a little bit more about that. Like why do you think it's so common that entrepreneurs create a prison for themselves? Because I know it happens to almost all of us at some point. You know, that's interesting, Tim. Why is it common? I don't think people are are self-aware or I don't think they're introspective enough to realize that building a business doesn't require 40 hours a week of your personal time. It shouldn't require that. Um, I, I think if you... You know, I, I guess you think about it this way. Sometimes people who have poverty mentality looks at the the wealthy entrepreneur who spends most of his days driving his expensive sports car, playing golf, or out on his yacht, and they're like, "Man, that guy, what's he doing? You know, he's never working." You know, okay, well, he has a business that's producing significant amount of value for the world, or he wouldn't be able to do that. I think we know that intrinsically that if you build the business the right way, you can have the leisure time. You can have the control over how you make your choices each day. But we get stuck in this monotonous, I got to be there. It goes back to the hero syndrome. I got to be there. I got to do it. I got to do it. If I don't do it, nobody's going to do it. Nobody does it better than me. And we just get stuck in this loop. And we look up one day and we're behind our own bars. We we created the prison ourselves and you know, we... You know, the worst part about that is we have the key to unlock it and we don't even use it. It's like all you got to do, there, there's a few things you do and you can unlock that and walk out of that prison and never go back. So what are those few things, Jason? Well, the first thing we talked about a little bit already is delegation. You've got to embrace delegation. You've got to be able to do it the right way. The second thing is you've got to eliminate stress from your life. Um and I didn't say manage, I said eliminate. I think you can eliminate it because stress is a killer. So stress not only will affect you physically, it'll affect you mentally, it'll affect you financially, it'll, it'll affect you spiritually. But, but the other thing is by extension, it affects your business. It'll affect your employees, it'll affect everything. If you've ever done business with a company and you just felt like everybody was on the edge all the time, that's a stressed company led by a stressed leader. So if you can, if you can get stress eliminated from that, you can move on to the next step. The next step is, is, is making sure you establish the right systems and processes. Most coaches and gurus will tell you, Hey, you just got to get systems and processes. and You can walk away. No, because if you put a system and process in place without eliminating stress, you have a stress system. If you haven't delegated it correctly, you're going to end up having to be the one running the system. Sure. You got a system, but you got to do it. So you got to do this, the delegation, then the stress elimination, then the systems. And then fourth and finally is investing in people. You got to learn that your people are the most important investment you're going to make in your business. Without people, you can't have a business that runs without you because somebody's got to be there to run it. You've got to invest in people financially, emotionally, spiritually. Uh, you, you've got to train them. You've got to let them know that they're they're valued, then they're important, more important than customers. And that's one thing I've always told my employees and all my companies is that you are more important than our customer. If I had to make a choice, which I don't usually, but if I had to make a choice between you and a customer, I'm choosing you because without you, I can't service the customer. If I choose the customer over you, you quit. Now I don't have anybody to service the customer. My employees are the most important thing. So delegation, stress elimination, systems, 
and investing in people. And if you follow that, that circle goes back again, because once you invest in people, then you delegate and you, you keep, it's just a circle that keeps happening. Absolutely. So I love how important investing people is in this, um, in this circle that keeps happening, right? So let's kind of dial back to what we were talking about earlier. You mentioned when you first start delegating, you're going to get about an 80% return on what you were doing when you were the one actively producing the role, right? But as you grow your company, it comes to a point where you could hire people far more talented than you ever were in the first place. <laughs> so um, it comes to the point where you can actually hire up where you're hiring more skilled people than you, and then you develop a far more, a better team, to put it simply, um, that will take you to the next level. Um, I'm not at that point yet. I would love to know what that transition looks like. So you want to transition from, help explain me what that transition you're specifically talking about. What are you talking about specifically? Great question. So, I mean, basically, I'm at the point where I'm hiring people that are 80% of me. Like, how do you get from this point, and this might be too broad of a question, so I apologize about that, to the point where you're actually hiring people that are better than you? Well, I don't think you're going to find somebody immediately that's better than you. You develop that person into being better than you. So I'll give you some examples. So when I hired my uh, an assistant back almost nine years ago, I didn't have an office. We didn't have offices at all. Everybody worked from home. Everybody. There was only two or three of us. And I needed an assistant and her name is Nina and she's still with my company to this day, my lighting company. Um, I hired her as an assistant. I met her at a Starbucks because I didn't have an office. We met, talked to her, did the whole thing, ended up hiring her. She's my personal executive assistant. She's working from her home. Eventually we have an office, bring her in the office. And slowly I started turning more things over to her, human resource responsibilities, which includes insurance and payroll and all that type of thing. And then and then turning over bookkeeping responsibilities and producing reports, et cetera. Well, today she's the vice president of finance and administration. She's better at all those tasks than I ever was or ever desired to be. I don't care to do any of those things ever again. So, but I couldn't, at the time, I didn't have the resources or the expertise to hire somebody who was better than me in all those areas. So I developed someone into it. And she's been with me for, like I said, almost nine years. Same thing on the sales. I hired a sales guy who came in. He, he was a good salesman, but he didn't know my industry. So I had to develop him into being a better salesperson than me. Ricky, the guy I've already mentioned, I hired him. I had to develop him. So I think where most entrepreneurs are in the early stages, first three to five years or so, is you just need to hire and develop, hire and develop, hire and develop. And if you're doing it right, then before long, you don't have anything to do. Now, if you're in a deeper stage of the company, let's say you're doing $50 million a year as a company, you got 50 employees or whatever. Yeah, you probably have the chops now to go out and put an ad and get a headhunter and hire a killer who's been doing it for your comp competition for a while and you just bring them in. But that's not always going to be the panacea. It's not always going to cure the issue because they come with their ideas. They weren't developed under your ideas. So that's a little bit more of a wild card than developing. So I'd tell you, no matter where you are, you know, if you're on the early stages of that revenue cycle is hire and develop, hire and develop, hire and develop. Absolutely. Cause then you're keeping the success internal. And if you get good at developing people, all of a sudden you have a skill of developing people. So then the company keeps growing upwards essentially. 
as long as you're able mm-hmm. to continue hiring and developing, as you said. Um, yep. So I'm dialing a little bit back again. You mentioned growing pains a little bit earlier, and I had a guest on just a couple shows ago who had a pretty tremendous journey. She created a paint company, and in five, six months, she had 500 wholesalers buying from her. And anybody would say that is an amazing, or not wholesalers, right? She was the wholesaler. Um, <laughs> she was wholesaling to them, whatever. Um, <laughs> but anyways, to anybody on the outside looking in, that looks like a tremendous growth thing. It's like, oh my God, you went from zero to amazing in five to six months, but nobody's considering all of the stress and pressure that puts on the company to grow that quickly because you need to become a better leader in order to even have a chance to keep up with all the pressure of all the um, backend stuff coming after you. So anybody going through growing pains, what would be your recommendations to them in order to try to alleviate them? Because it's tough. Um, well, I mean, every company is going to have different growing pains. I mean, they're going to grow for different reasons and they're going to have pains at different points. Um, you know, I don't know the scenario that you're talking about specifically, but I would say if you go in six months from no customers to 500 customers in six months or 400 customers, whatever that is, can, can you physically and technologically keep up with that, with the infrastructure that you have now, if you can't, then you're doing everyone, employees, customers, everybody, you're doing them a disservice by taking on new customers. So you've got to manage that growth just like you would anything else. The reason God created us to come out of the womb as a seven pound baby and then grow into a 200 pound adult is for very obvious reasons how painful it would be if it was anything uh, anything other than that. Like you can't just go from seven pounds to 100 in five months. That's not how biology works for a reason. So your company needs to be seen in that same light is that you've got to be a loving, caring parent for your baby, your business and make it grow the right way, not too fast, not too slow. And for the love of everything that is good, you have to set your baby down and let it walk on its own at some point. You can't carry it everywhere. That analogy continues to get better and deeper as we go on. But I would say in growing pains, you need to identify why the pain is happening. Is it natural? Are we just in a natural growing pain? Are you teething like, like a little toddler would be? Or, or did you try to go from seven pounds to a hundred pounds in five months? Because if you did, the pain's kind of your fault and you need to figure out how to back that off a little bit, reduce the customers because you can't scale that fast unless you have unlimited money and unlimited connections. And I don't know anybody who has both of those. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Thank you for that. That was so simply answered. I don't want to say simply, but most things in life are far more simple than people actually think they are. It's like kind of when you start working out, you know, you might have somebody that's benching the bar, right? But that's the natural progression. You start putting more weight. You can't just go to the gym and, and squat 700 pounds. Like if it was that easy, everybody would do it. And that's why the entrepreneur's journey is so much fun um, because it is a journey of self-discovery and all that fun stuff. Um, so let's get into you working 10 hours a week, if I remember correctly, um, and and really the exit lifestyle in general. Um, because I know there's so many entrepreneurs that love working, but I think that might be a terrible mindset to have. You don't work to work. You're supposed to build your job around your lifestyle. So what would you say to anybody that loves working? And why should they stop loving working so much? Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with loving working. I think you just need to understand what you're committing to. Because if you say, I love working, um, 
and you're committing yourself by saying that to 40 to 60 to 80 hours a week of output in order to maintain, then I don't think you really love working. What you're experiencing is something called synthetic happiness. Is, is there's a situation you found yourself in and you realize if I change anything, I don't get, I don't get to keep the situation. So I'm going to synthetically create happiness around the thing that I find myself in. This is also called, um, this, there is a syndrome of what I'm, I'm losing it. What's the syndrome when you're, you're imposter you syndrome. In, what, no, you fall in love with your uh, kidnapper. What's that called? It's uh, oh, Stockholm syndrome. Stockholm syndrome. So it's kind of the same thing. You know, if you're, if you're, uh, you're a hostage, you know, at first you don't like it. Oh, this sucks. And then over time, if you stay in that situation long enough, you realize, well, look, if I don't participate in this situation, I'm going to end up being hurt. So you synthetically convince yourself that you're happy with this and you, you fall in love with your captor. And that's what I think a lot of entrepreneurs say, well, I love my business. I don't ever want to exit. Yeah. Listen, if I wrote you a check for a hundred million dollars today and, and you didn't have to work anymore, would you keep doing that same thing? I don't know a lot of people that would. Now some do, and I'm not discounting those that, that would. Like I, I am in the business now that that 100 million wouldn't change me. I, I'm, I'm in, I'm finally in that purpose of my life, that place I'm living my purpose. I wouldn't, it wouldn't change anything for me. It would change things, but it, I would keep doing this. I would keep coaching. Now my, my lighting company, I got to a place where I was doing 10, you know, down to, I started at, you know, I was working 50, 60 hours a week. Then I got down to 25, then down to 10 and then down 10 a, a month and then 10 a quarter. And now it's 10 a year. I don't that company still runs and I'm, I'm practically not involved at all. My coaching company that I'm doing now, pretty much full time, it's about 20 active hours per week that is required for me to continue to produce the income and the revenue that I produce in my coaching company. I'm good with that. Do I work more than 20? Yeah, man. Yeah, I do. I work more than 20. But I build these boundaries around my what is required versus what I want to do. Like, am I creating new content? Am I, am I doing new things that aren't required to keep my revenue on pace to grow? So I think you've got to understand why do you love working? Is it a synthetic happiness or is it really, are you living in the center of your purpose? Absolutely, man. So you mentioned what you're doing now, coaching. Let's talk about what working with the real Jason Duncan looks like and your team, obviously. Well, so I, I work, uh, I've got an Exeter program and it's uh, it's limited to seven people per year, uh, in any 12 month cycle, because I, it's a one year commitment that I work with my clients we meet every single week. Uh, we do four in-person meetings per year and it's very intense. Like we are taking them from where they are to where they want to be. And generally speaking, that's moving from way too much time in the business to begin living the lifestyle that you truly desire, the exit lifestyle. And for everybody that looks different, but we got to get your hours down in the business without losing momentum in the business. So that's what my clients hire me to do. The lot, one of the last guys I brought on was like working 50, 60 hours a week. I got three young kids and I'm married. If I don't change something now, I'm going to miss my kids' lives. And so that's why he hired me. So the investment for that is $125,000 for the year. And that includes everything you need, you're going to see a three to five X return in that just financially, not to mention what's going to happen. Your like quality of life is going to go up. So that's called the Exeter program. That also includes membership, membership in a mastermind, which is called the Exeter club. 
In the mastermind, we meet twice a month. We do six live events per year, including two luxury retreats. Um, and this is a group of all male entrepreneurs who are all on the same path to trying to exit without exiting. Some want to sell. Some just want to get out of the weeds so they can go start another company. They want to get out of the weeds to go start a nonprofit. They, they have multiple interests, but that Exeter program at 125K includes membership in the Exeter club. And you can join the club without being part of the one-on-one -on -one coaching. And the club itself is 35K for the year. And that's unlimited. Like I can, I can take an unlimited number of people in the club, but the Exeter program people, I only do seven, have seven of those guys per year. I imagine that application process has to be pretty grueling. The is what that process? Correct? It broke up. To be one of the seven. To be one of the seven, what does that application process look like? Well, it's uh, so we start, it starts with an application that just kind of gives me a little bit of insight into your business, how long ago you started it, what's your revenue levels, what's your quality of life look like, how many hours you're working per week, et cetera. We get on a call and we, we talk deeply about what this looks like. And, you know, are you willing to invest the time and the money, of course, into making this happen? This is going to be a big transition. This goes back to the consistency we were talking about earlier. This isn't going to happen in 10 weeks. It's not going to happen in 10 days. It's, it's probably not going to happen in a year. It's going to take some time, but we're going to commit to working on this a year together. Um, and we usually I have two or three calls with a client or a prospect before it's approved to get into the program. And once they're approved to get in the program, we go ahead and get started and we do our calls every week, same time, same day. So it's very consistent. It's an appointment every single week. And of course, you know, we can miss appointments. I, like I'm going on vacation in a couple of weeks and I know my clients go on vacation. So we'll miss some of those, but um, it's, it's not grueling. It's an appropriate level of screening because first of all, you got to be able to afford it financially. And, you know, that's why my guys typically are doing 3 million or more per year. Now, if you can, if you, if you're only doing a couple hundred grand, you still want to get in. Hey, that's, that's up to you. If you want to make that investment, I want to see you succeed. All right. Um, that sounds very cool. The real Jason Duncan, if anybody listening wanted to be a part of either of these programs, what would be the best way for them to get in touch with you, man? Go to therealjasonduncan.com slash coaching, therealjasonduncan.com slash coaching. And just read uh, everything I said there is there, including the prices. As I said, I'm here. I, I don't hide that. I mean, clients who have the money to spend on those types of things, they're, they're not, they don't want to be, they don't want that price hidden. So it's out on my website. You can see exactly what it costs, what the investment is, what you get in return for that. There's video testimonials all over that site that show you people that I work with and how much has changed their lives. So go to the real slash coaching. All right, everybody, there you have it. Go to the real slash coaching and you can check out these programs. Jason Duncan, man, been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show and giving us a glimpse into your life and into your business. And Thanks, to man. those Appreciate of you, it. absolutely, man. And to those of you out there chasing freedom, freedom is accomplished one action at a time. Um, why don't you ditch that poverty mindset and commit to taking one action, not only today, but do it consistently over the next 12 months or so. And you'll probably ingrain into your brain that this is how it gets done. Um, commit to three things. If you are the visionary of your company, Set the vision, communicate the vision, and then build the asset. That's all that matters. Tell somebody another will help hold you accountable. And before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll catch you on the next episode.
Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 